So the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, the Master with the Brahmo devotees. So we will continue from the portion where we have concluded in the last class. We found Sri Ramakrishna singing. He just sang one song which we were discussing in the last class. And then again he sang another song. So we will go through that song and then we will try to understand the inner meaning of that song. So again they sang, Sing, O bird that nestles deep within my heart. Sing, O bird that sits on the Kalpa tree of Brahman. Sing God's everlasting praise. Test, O bird, of the four fruits of the Kalpa tree, Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. Sing, O bird, he alone is the comfort of my soul. Sing, O bird, he alone is my life's enduring joy. O thou wondrous bird of my life, sing aloud in my heart, unceasingly sing, O bird. Sing forevermore, even as a thirsty chatak sings for the raindrop from the cloud. So, here the bird signifies the jivatman, the individual soul. So, in the Mundagopanisha, there is a wonderful allegory of two birds sitting in a tree. The tree is laden with fruits. One tree is sitting on the top of the tree. It is quiet, calm, majestic. It is in no way involved in testing the fruits of the plant. The lower bird, it is busy. It is busy in testing the fruits of the plants. And this lower bird, that's what the Upanishad is describing, that now and then is enjoy, is, it's enjoying the sweet fruits of the plant, but now and then it will suddenly bite on some very bitter fruit. And then it feels extremely dejected, sorrowful, and it looks up and it sees the bird sitting on the topmost branch, totally serene, majestic, not tasting the sweet and the bitter fruits of the tree. And this lower bird feels attracted towards that bird. But how majestic it is. It's in no way involved in tasting the sweet and the bitter fruits of that plant. It is just witnessing. And it is sitting on the topmost branch without getting involved 
in the pleasure and plane that ensures that ensues from tasting the bitter and the sweet fruits of the tree and it starts moving upwards and in the process of moving upwards suddenly it forgets again it gets distracted by the fruits again it starts tasting the sweet and the bitter fruits of that tree and again most probably it will bite on some bitter fruit feel dejected look upwards and again start moving towards that bird sitting majestically on the topmost branch and in the process as it moves up and up again and again though getting distracted now and then but in the process it is moving up as it nears that bird it is very near to that bird it has almost reached the same branch where it is sitting this lower bird to its surprise finds that its wings its plumage is merging with the wings of that upper bird it is merging and gradually it finds that it as an individual was never there this lower bird as it approaches the upper bird gradually finds first the wings and then gradually its entire body starts merging with the upper bird to realize the lower bird was just a reflection it was not there it was just a reflection of the upper bird who was sitting majestically that's a wonderful allegory which we find in the mundaka upanishad which explains the idea that jivatman is just the reflection of the paramatman jivatman like that lower bird is busy in testing the sweet and bitter fruits of life and in the process gets dejected thinks for the answer for the solution from all the sufferings of life and as if looks up to see the upper bird the paramatman sitting majestically as the witness self not testing the fruits of life just witnessing and it gets drawn towards it but it's not that in one go it reaches that again it forgets how nicely it has actually described our spiritual journey the so called sufferings of life now and then makes us to look at some portal beyond this phenomenal existence we get convinced about the existence of the soul the paramatman we start moving towards that as per the instructions of the scripture as per the directions of the guru but again we get deviated again the life's experiences sometimes teaches us we feel the urge to move upwards we start moving we forget and that's how it goes on till at last we realize that the paramatman in the form of god or whatever it may be the various aspects of divinity i was praying to is actually myself the jivatman merges with the paramatman there's the idea in the mundaka upanishad dwa suparna sayuja sakhaya samanang brikshan parishashvajate tayoranya pippalang swaduvatti anashnanan the anashnan means the one who is not eating just sitting anya abhichakashiti just looking there's a paramatman so this is our spiritual journey that's the idea of the unity of the jivatman with the paramatman and our entire spiritual journey is to realize that unity that has been spoken of nicely in that song 
which was just we discussed. And then this, uh, this, this what you say that the, when, when they merged, Samane Brikshe Purusho Nimagno Anishaya Shochati Muhyamana Jushtam Yada Pashyati Anyamisham Asya Mahimanamiti Vita Shoka. When you get one with that, then you become Vita Shoka. The shoka becomes vita, it becomes past tense, that which has already been experienced, no more to be experienced again. Vita means past, that is gone. In all the Indian languages, vita means that which is past. So it came from the Sanskrit word, the vita shoka. So the jivatma which is drowned as it were and perplexed, grieves owing to helplessness. And when he sees the other, the Lord who is worshipped by all and his glory, he also becomes absorbed from all the grief by becoming one with it. So that's the idea which we have found was being depicted in that song. Now we find a devotee from Nandan Bhagan entered the room with his friends. The master looked at him and said, everything inside him can be seen through his eyes as one sees the objects in a room through a glass door. That was the wonderful capacity of Sri Ramakrishna. He could as if scan the inner being of the person with whom he met. He could as if look into the psyche. And that's the power of Sri Ramakrishna, which speaks a lot. You know, there's a very interesting con uh, conversation of Keshav. Keshav once told someone that he had already met Ramakrishna. He was highly impressed by the spirituality which was been exemplified in the life of Sri Ramakrishna. He was highly impressed. But he felt that though Sri Ramakrishna is highly evolved, but he doesn't spiritually evolve, but he doesn't have the faculty of forming organization. Now Keshav in those days was very famous. He was the uh, leader of the Brahma Samaj with, because with his oratorical power. The Brahma Samaj was expanding like anything. We find huge gathering for his lectures, law, huge followers of the Brahma Samaj. Compared to that, Ramakrishna had just a handful of his devotees. Seeing that, Keshav naturally felt that Ramakrishna doesn't have the faculty of organization. But very interesting, when Sri Ramakrishna was alive, then only we find Keshav his Brahma Samaj started breaking off. There were many divergent groups. There were a lot of quarrels, dissensions. And Sri Ramakrishna knew that when once Keshav came to Ramakrishna, Ramakrishna indicated that you cannot, you never make the devotees, the followers, by studying the uh, their real nature. Just anyone feels like becoming a part of your organization, there the door is open. You never study the mind of the others. And that's why the people break off. So this is a very interesting thing. Why we find that this Sri Ramakrishna, though he had a handful of devotees, but we find a wonderful thing in the history of religion, that all those devotees, the monastic disciples, they themselves were exemplary. Not a single of them you will find is just an ordinary person. They are all spiritually illumined by their own right 
And Sri Ramakrishna chose them. And it is this, because of this, the foundation was really very strong. The organization which started with just a handful of devotees, there's a nice interesting incident. Sri Ramakrishna one day asked Leto, Latu, he later became Adbhutananda, he was illiterate. He came as a servant from Bihar and he was serving Sri Ramakrishna. He came as a servant and he became his devotee. He was illiterate. And to him Sri Ramakrishna is asking, can you count the number of devotees that come to me? And uh, Latu with his knowledge at last counted, it was something 30 plus. So that's what he indicated. So you have some 30 plus followers. And now you see that's the organization which is worldwide. It is spreading. So many people are being influenced by the ideas of Ramakrishna Vivekananda and it's growing. We know this movement is something which is to grow still farther. It has such strong uh, motto, idea, the life behind it. So that's the interesting thing that as Sri Ramakrishna has the faculty of studying the mind of his disciples and accordingly could choose his disciples, the foundation was so strong that it is still growing. And we find so many organizations just at the flux of the moment because of some uh, tintillating ideas, I would say. It may suddenly grow. Swami Vivekananda forecasted that that after me, that when I pass away, there will be so many organizations, there will be so many organizations like <coughs> the mushrooms in the rainy season. Suddenly you see them full, the mushrooms in the rainy season, suddenly the field gets full of mushroom. And then after a few days, there's nowhere, they're gone. So like mushrooms, they will grow and then suddenly you find them. <coughs> when they grow, you find, if you want to say, huge movement. But if really the substance is not behind that. It just uh, grows, even though it was the fate of the Brahma Samaj itself, where the movement has gone. The Keshab who felt that Ramakrishna doesn't have the faculty of organization, he never had that farsightedness to understand that the, organ the faculty of organization lies in the fact that how you can see the core of the being and select your group, that's very important because that's the foundation on which the organization has to sustain. And that's the thing which we find in the simple word of Ramakrishna. Everything inside him can be seen through his eyes as one sees the objects in a room through a glass door. The life of Ramakrishna is very interesting. <clears throat> you will find that whatever he has mentioned that has happened, this Narendranath, Swami Vivekananda as a young college boy when he was visiting Ramakrishna, one day he told to the devotees that I see that what power Keshav has, that Keshav in those days was very famous. He was uh, the, one of the most prominent figures of India, the religious movement in those days. He was a famous for his oratorical powers. He went to England and had meals with the queen, he had dinner with the queen. So he was in those days a man of uh, attainments. Lot of uh, name and fame was there. And one day Ramakrishna in front of the devotees says that whatever power Keshav has, 
I see 18 such powers in Narayan. And everyone knew Ramakrishna loved Narayan. So when all the devotees left, Narayan went and scolded Ramakrishna. He told, you love me that I know. But your uh, words are so as an exaggeration, what the others will feel. Just as you love me, why you are exaggerating? It's such an embarrassing. And then Ramakrishna simply told, I just told what mother have shown me. It's what has mother has shown me, that's what I am saying. And just see in retrospect now that what the achievements which this young boy Naren had just a few years later. The cyclonic monk as in, in the entire West, he was the pioneer in spreading the message of Vedanta and Yoga in the West. He's the first one. All the this in the West now we find that the Yoga and the Vedanta is recognized as one of the uh, what is the prominent paths towards the spiritual journey. Many people are accepting this Vedanta and Yoga. It all started with Swami Vivekananda. So such a huge movement he has started worldwide. And that power which Narin himself was not aware of it. Sri Ramakrishna could as you see, he is told that he just, that Ramakrishna himself couldn't write properly. And with some charcoal he wrote that Narin Shikhedibe that this Naren will teach the world. He will teach in inlands, Ghore, Bahire, Hagdibe, Jai Radhe. So that was the line written by him. Not only that, Swami Sharadananda, Sharat Maharaj, when he started visiting Ramakrishna, this young Sharat, he was a young boy. One day suddenly Ramakrishna went and sat, just sat on his, approached him and sat on his lap. And the Sharat was really, uh, he was surprised at what this old man is doing. He came and sat on his lap. And then he told, I'm just seeing how much capacity you have to take my weight. Can you forbear my weight? I was just seeing that. And when this organization was formed, he's the first general secretary. He had to carry a lot of weight. That's what he was testing, that how much weight you can carry. Raja Maharaswami Brahmananda, he told that he is the one who can even uh, rule over a kingdom. And we find him as the first president of the order. We'll find that to whomever he has said is something that he is materializing. Why? He could as if see the this inner core and not only see, he can even change it. Swami Vivekananda used to say an interesting thing that there are so many prophets with so much of... Uh, uh, supernatural powers. We hear of the supernatural powers. And many may ask, what supernatural power Ramakrishna had? And Swami Vivekananda is giving a very wonderful response to this question. That other avatars, other prophets, they of course were very powerful, but they somehow manipulated with the, something which is inert, with the external world, with all their powers. Something inert they were dealing with. But this Ramakrishna took our mind, which is very subtle, just like a clod of clay, he took it in his hand and he molded the way as he wanted. So that was his power. And that we see, not a single of his devotees have slipped as such. In all the religious movement you will find there, can, there are some who cannot just maintain the ideal which has been 
propagated, which was propounded by their prophet. In the words of Jesus, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But here we find he has chosen, really chosen, for this movement. He has chosen the ones whom he finds. There are many instances when someone being overwhelmed with the devotional singing which was going on in presence of Ramakrishna, that uh, an instantaneous uh, some emotion arises. And they will go and say, as they were praying, Oh God, make me such that I forget the world and I can devote my life to you. And Ramakrishna was whispering, Oh, that's never going to happen. Means he understood, that's, the, that's just a momentary uh, some inspiration. His inner uh, core, the, the, the inner psyche was saying that he still has a lot of desires as far as his subconscious mind is concerned. So he was very, very clear about it. He can as if see, just like a way, uh, we can see something through a transparent glass. He could see the mind. So that's the thing which Sri Ramakrishna is indicating here. This, this devotee and his brothers always celebrated the anniversary of the Brahma Samaj at their house in Nandan Bagan. Sri Ramakrishna had taken part in these festivals. The evening worship began in the temples. The master was seated on the small couch in his room, absorbed in meditation. He went into an ecstatic mood and said a little letter. letter. Mother, please draw him to thee. He is so modest and humble. He has been visiting thee. So after saying that everything inside him can be seen through his eyes, one as one sees the objects in a room through a glass door, now he's saying, Mother, please, so this was actually Swami Premananda, that he considered among his disciples six of them as Nitya Siddha, that who never gets uh, lured by the phenomenal existence. Even if they are born, their mind is always absorbed in God. They never get deviated, befooled, ensnared by the world. So Swami Premanaseva, the Nitya Siddhyas, six, six such disciples he considered as Nitya Siddhyas. Swami Premananda was one of them. In the words of Sri Ramakrishna, even his pure, his, even his bone marrow is pure. He's pure to the core of his being. Even his bone marrow is pure. That's what he is to say. And that's why Sri Ramakrishna finding him to be that pure. He is the first manager of the Belumat. He was a loving soul, the pure. So he was a highly, he, has a, he was a monk of high spiritual attainment, Swami Premananda, Baburam Maharaj. So this young Baburam, seeing him, finding him to be of that caliber, is now praying to Mother, Mother, please draw him to thee. Ramakrishna never felt that any organization will be formed in his name. He never referred to himself as me. Whenever he has to say anything about himself, he would say the uh, of this place. He will never say me, of this place. This is the idea of this place. So as the idea of me and mine was totally obliterated, ego was obliterated, he was always felt he is one with the divine. So here also we find this draw him to thee, to your, to you. Actually it means to that movement which he was starting. Draw him to thee and he find one of those Nitya Siddhas who became the monk of the Ramakrishna order. He is so modest and humble. He has been visiting thee. This another thing here is, is modest and humble. 
this humility is something which is the the prime spiritual characteristic of a spiritual seeker modesty even in bible we find that of the beatitudes which the christ has spoken of one is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven this humility is from where, where this humility comes through spiritual practice all the spiritual practices what it is meant for in the words of sri ramakrishna very nice it's it is meant for making our wings tired what he is saying actually that actually behind this word to make our wings tired he was actually speaking of an allegory of a parable which he used he himself used to narrate the allegory the parable goes like that that a bird was seated on the mast of a ship and the ship was in the deep waters of the ocean and now this bird suddenly felt like flying to the shore it started flying towards the east it didn't find any land as it was in the deep ocean so it came back again sat on the mast to take a little rest and then it flew to the west came back took rest again on the mast went to the north to the south in all directions couldn't find any land it was tired now it came and quietly sat in the mast with the idea of resignation let the ship take me wherever it has to take so all sri ramakrishna is saying all our spiritual practices as such it is not going to help us attain something we cannot attain the unlimited with our limited endeavor it's impossible then why we are trying what is this then sadhana not required it's required for the real resignation to come if i say i have resigned myself to the divine will it is just mere words it is only through sadhana we have to fill it in the bottom of our heart otherwise it is just mere words when that resignation becomes a real feeling then only the grace dawns others it's only realization happens only through grace not through our effort but for the grace to dawn in our life the ego has to be obliterated and the resignation has to come and then only the grace dawns in to give an example if we are sitting on the branch of a tree suppose we are sitting on the branch of a tree holding to the branch now to fall from the tree to the ground to fall from the tree no effort is required you just leave the hold the gravitation will pull you down so to fall from the tree there is there is no effort required you just leave the hold you fall so similarly we are holding onto the branches of this samsara this world is like a tree with the branches and we are holding onto it and we as we are holding onto it the grace can never work on us in bhagavad gita the 15th chapter they speak of a tree with its root upwards and the branches downwards root upwards means our spiritual identity that's the root that's the cause that's upwards the branches are spreading downwards and we are clinging to these branches and the grace as the gravitation works downwards similarly the grace is always working on us upwards but 
we never realize the effect of grace as we are holding onto the branch. What's the way we can realize that grace? We have to just leave the hold. Just the way when we leave the hold of the branch of a tree, gravity automatically pulls us down, no effort is required. If we leave the hold of the branch of this tree called samsara, grace is bound to act upon us. But what happens that when we get tormented by the sufferings of life, in the branch most probably it is full of bugs, it is disturbing me. Then in the name of religion what we do, we leave hold of the one of the branch and get hold of another branch and give it the name God. But we are again holding on to some branch. And that's what our spiritual practices is. We are holding from branch to branch, never realizing that at last that resignation has to come. All our spiritual practices are also the branches. They are also within this domain of Maya. At last the hold has to be released and then only the grace is going to work. So this is the idea. Even in our spiritual life we will find, in our day-to-day life we will find. That suppose I have resorted to some spiritual practice, every day I sit for meditation, nothing happens. I don't enjoy anything. And suddenly one day without any expectation, as it, has my, it is my habit, I sit for meditation and suddenly I find a sort of bliss emanating from within me. And then the conviction comes, oh, I have attained. So from now onwards, whenever I sit for meditation, I'm going to get this bliss. After this long practice, I have attained it. And next day again you sit for meditation, you find nothing. What has happened? That suddenly, that because of your practice that day, just because of habit you sat and there was no grip that in Bhagavad Gita, Shankaracharya gives in his commentary mentions very nice thing that Ishwaropi me tushyatu iti sangam tyaktva. Our spiritual practice should be uh, with what motivation? That even God be pleased, even that sort of motivation shouldn't be there. That speaks of resignation. As Holy Mother used to say, that my japa, my meditation is not for attaining God. That I have relinquished the desires of the world, but the mind has to dwell on something. I need something to keep my mind engaged with. So I do japa. It has nothing to do with the realization. This is a very important thing. In our spiritual life also, that the same thing happened. Because of habit, you every day have expectation that let me get the bliss, let me have a sense of union with the divine. Nothing happens. And then you lose that hope. One day you are just out of habit, you have sat for meditation and you get the bliss. Because somehow that resignation most probably came. They have left the hold. But immediately at the moment you get the bliss, again that grip comes. Oh, this is the bliss I have to get every day. Now I have got it. Again it is gone. The next day you don't get it. And this is the process which goes on till the, at last that real resignation comes. You don't expect any more. The real, and then the grace works on you to take you to that spiritual domain. So entire sadhana is just to make our wings tired. And then comes resignation. And then only we can release the hold. And then only grace can work. Sri Ramakrishna in the gospel very nicely saying, the wind of grace is always blowing, but it gets obstructed by the wall of ego. It is always blowing, but it gets obstructed by the, the moment you can obliterate the ego, 
The grace is there. The plan of the universe is such. The moment your ego is gone, the moment it's gone, you will become one with your spiritual identity. It has to happen. The ego is the cause of the bondage. And that's the thing uh, Sri Ramakrishna is indicating, that he's so modest and humble. Sri Ramakrishna is indicating in some other places that humility, humility is a trait which one attain after years, after many births of sadhana, of tapasya. It doesn't come so easily. That modesty has came after practicing for births together. That with all my with all my effort, I cannot attain anything. God has to help me out. That's why in Bhagavad Gita, he's speaking of Sarvadharman Parityajya Mamikam Sharanangraja. He's speaking. Many will be interpreting in many ways, but we forget that is in the 18th chapter. He himself has spoken of so many different types of dharmas. Jnana Yoga, Raja Yoga, Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga. He has spoken of in this, all these chapters. At last he is speaking Sarvadharman. It is all those practices which he has spoken of. You have tried, you have tested, and now you find you cannot proceed even a one step. And then God is saying, resign. And then, rest resign to me. Aham tvam sarva papebhya moksha swami. I will just uh, obliterate all the, cleanse you from all the sin and liberate you. And what is sin actually? The core of sin is I. In English, if you spell sin, S-I-N, sin. Between S and N, I is there, isn't it? So literally, core of sin is I, even literally. And spiritually also the core of sin. The moment you have the idea of ego, me, 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 from that evolves all sin. The moment it falls off, you are cleansed. You become one with the divine. What is ego? It is just like a wave in which the sun is being reflected. And you take the reflected sun to be yourself. You are as if the wave. But is it in any way the reality? No, the reality is the sun. The reflection, it is just a reflection. The self which you feel is the individual self is just the reflection. That has to go off to realize your identity with the spiritual, uh, with your spiritual uh, absolute, with absolute spirituality. And that has been spoken of again and again in various languages. And when you realize that, then only that humility comes. Then only the ego is relinquished. Then the true sharanagati, resignation comes. And it is a grace that pulls you up. So that's being spoken of by Sri Ramakrishna about Baburam Maharaj in the simple words. Was the master referring to Baburam, who later became one of his foremost disciples? So he was present there. So it was indicated, uh, it was indicated to him. The master explained the different kinds of samadhi to the devotees. The conversation then turned to the joy and suffering of life. Why did God create so much suffering? M. Once Vidyasagar said in a mood of uh, piqui, what is the use of calling on God? Just think of this incident. At one time, Genghis Khan plundered a country and imprisoned many people. The number of prisoners rose to about a hundred thousand. The commander of his army said to him, Your Majesty, who will feed them? It is risky to keep them with us. It will be equally dangerous to release them. What shall I do? The Genghis Khan said, That's true. What can be done? 
well, have them killed. The order was accordingly given to cut them to pieces. Now God saw this slaughter, didn't he? But he didn't stop it in any way. Therefore, I don't need God. This Vidyasagar is saying, whether he exists or not, I don't derive any good from him. So Vidyasagar was an agnostic. There are many such funny incidents. That once he told that uh, I don't want to preach. There's another, another that uh, like Keshav, I don't want to be a preacher. Why? Now that, uh, suppose after death I go to the, that it was a, some funny incident that just to say that how agnostic uh, Vidyasagar was. That after death when I go to uh, be judged by Yama, that whether, where is my further destiny, whether it's in heaven or hell. So he will ask me, uh, he will just find out what all, what all faults I have done, what are wrongdoings I have done in my life. And then it will be indicated that for this he should have this much of punishment. And then he will call another person and ask him uh, that what all wrongdoings he has done. And he will ask the reason that why have you done all those things. And then he will say it is he who have actually instructed me to do all those things. And that's why I have done all those things. And then Yama will say that you yourself don't understand anything of religion and you have explained others. So all the punishments which he deserved, now that you also deserve. So if it was just uh, ten, uh, what you say, that uh, uh, canes were, were you were deserved, now you have twenty canes. So I don't want to be a preacher. So he was indicating to Keshav at the, in those days. So that type of person Vidyasagar was. So we could understand his uh, sentiment. It's a very good sentiment in a way. But uh, master in this reply, what he's saying, this is something which is very difficult really to answer. That so much of suffering will be fine. The so-called atheists, they all say that what God is doing, we find so much suffering everywhere. So much of exploitation, so much of killing, so much is going on. The innocent people are suffering. What is God doing? So Ramakrishna's reply, is it possible to understand God's action and his motive? He creates, he preserves, and he destroys. Can we ever understand why he destroys? I say to the Divine Mother, O oh Mother, I do not need to understand. Please give me love to thy lotus feet. The aim of human life is to attain bhakti. As for other things, the Mother knows best. I have come to the garden to eat mangoes. What is the use of my calculating the number of trees, branches and leaves? I only eat the mangoes. I don't need to know the number of trees and leaves. So it's something, the answer we may feel is not something which is answering our question. But uh, we will find uh, Swami Vivekananda much later. In one of his lectures, is indicating a very interesting thing. What's that? That it is actually two different levels of awareness. And he's giving an example. Suppose two puppies are fighting. They're thinking when the puppies are fighting, you will find even when the siblings are fighting, they're quite serious. They think I'm just going to as if kill him. So angry the one is on the other. But the mother, the mother dog is just lying there just lazily. She's not at all bothered. Let them fight. Because to her, it is just some childish play. She never thinks it to be something serious. Though for the puppies, it is something very serious fight. But the mother knows it is just some childish play. After some time, again, it will be over. 
So it is two different levels of awareness. What's the basic idea that we cannot give an explanation, but if we try to understand that the God who is one who has become many, has become many, one has become many. Why he has become many? To experience his own bliss. He's always blissful. But that bliss can be experienced only when you are having some communion through love. And you cannot love yourself. So the one became many. One became many. So that we can experience the union of the individual soul with the Paramatman. Now, next the question comes, if that's the truth, then we are all supposed to be attracted towards the God, not towards this world. But again, the question, that's a very nice question comes. If we were all made in such a way that we are bound to love God, again, love cannot be experienced. Can you experience love if you know some other person has been programmed to love you? He's just a robot. It is just an artificial intelligence which has been programmed to love you. You can never experience love. You can never experience love. Because love can only be experienced when you love someone, the other reciprocates, though he or she has the choice. He or she may love you, may not love you. But if out of choice he or she loves you, then only the love is experienced. If you know the other one is bound to love you, either that is a slave or just an artificial intelligence. You can never be a true love. Love happens only by choice. So God created this world. This story, this idea is very nicely reflected. We always say in the Bible, one of the wonderful parables of Bible is a parable called the the parable of the prodigal child that God had two that the one rich man had two son two sons one was obedient he's the Nitya Siddha just now we are speaking of Nitya Siddha he's always devoted to God but all are not like that the other one he wanted his own freedom so what he did he asked father for his share of property inheritance so with that father was insisting not to get separated but he was adamant. And at last, father had to yield to his son. He took the share of his property and left, went away. And as he was not a responsible person, he wasted all his father's wealth in a short time. And now he was a pauper. And now he had to come back to his father because there's no other way. He cannot sustain. But now he was afraid. Father will be angry with me. Why? I wasted his wealth. I haven't obeyed him. But as there is no other way, though he's full of fear, still he starts coming back. He starts his journey towards the village where his father was staying. Now, father sees him from a long distance that the son is approaching, he's coming back after a long time. And now the son's apprehension proves to be false. The father, it is the father who starts running. He runs, goes to the child, embraces him, brings him back home and he gives a huge party to the entire village to celebrate the son's homecoming. So this is the Ladini Shakti, the plan. He has, was one, he became many and he gave the choice. You may love, you may not love. And we, that's why move out. All the sin is moving out. But he has made the world perfectly imperfect. 
perfectly imperfect. You can never get happiness out of it. You are bound to become a pauper. And at last you are bound to turn around. For that God is waiting when you turn around. In the words of Ramakrishna, when you start proceeding towards God one step, He comes running 16 steps. That's the thing. Even in this story we find, the story of the prodigal child, that when the son turned back, he started up, it was the father who ran. So, now from this standpoint you find that all this, that why we are fight, after all we think, I have some desired goal to get, to reach that goal, even killing others is okay, so that at last I get that happiness. But very interesting, in this world, happiness can only be from the divine. Even after killing others, the happiness you get is because of the divine. You will say, how come it is? It is, yes, it is to get the right thing in a very wrong way. What happens? Happiness comes only from desirelessness. Your psyche is full of desires. And beyond your psyche is your soul, which is always in bliss. But that bliss gets obscured because of all the desires in the form of waves. When the mind is calm, then only the bliss factor filters out, it is experienced. Now, because of your wrong understanding, because of our wrong understanding, we may be criminals, but beyond that, some idea is there of happiness. That by killing others, by doing all sorts of stealing, at last I get my desired goal and I get happiness. And in your psyche, what happens when you do that? For the time being, the mind is at rest. And you do feel that happiness for the time being. And again the mind is unsettled. So what has happened? That happiness came from the divine. This world doesn't have the capacity to give you even a little speck of happiness. As in Bhagavad Gita's commentary, we find Shankaracharya saying that this world doesn't have the capacity. This world doesn't have the capacity even to give you a small fragrance of happiness. It doesn't have that capacity. Happiness is always coming from the divine. But we are trying to get the right thing in the wrong way. Because why the wrong way? Because it is not going to give me permanent happiness. The next moment I am in jail, the society has its own regulations, I will find the thing which I thought is going to give me happiness is being obscured. The social laws, the rhythm is there, the, the rigorous laws are there which guide the society. I cannot in any way somehow transcend that, transgress that. It has to. So that's why Swami Vivekananda in one of his talks is, is saying that we never say there is anything called good or bad. Everything is good. Only something is lesser good, something is greater good. Even the so-called evils are lesser good. Why it is lesser good? Unknowingly, you are in search of bliss, which comes only from the soul. Through our life's experiences at last, we have to understand one day that if I keep my mind calm without expectations that with, with my all this egocentric idea of getting this, getting that, at last it ends in all sorts of sin. I get rid of that, calm down my mind and try to, my soul to reflect through that calm mind that, and enjoy the bliss which is permanent. I need not have to seek for some temporary joy to get that calmness for the time being and the bliss emanates and again it's gone. Instead of that, if I am dhira, in the Upanishad, the one of the word which is repeated again and again is the dhira. If I am dhira, if I am not 
chasing after the pleasures of life. Then there is no question of sin. And then the bliss is something permanent with me. You are again one with the divine. So now we can find, if you really look at that wider, wider perspective, there is a way to understand that why as such we feel God is not involved. He has created the world that way. Because after all, it is he who has become everything. It is not a question of sadistic approach. When someone told, Sri Ram, uh, told Ramakrishna that, that there is so much suffering in this life, and Ramakrishna told it's all God's Leela, God's divine sport. And immediately the man retorted back, it is his sport, but we are all suffering. And immediately Ramakrishna told us, again replied, who are you? It's all he. If I have become everything, then there's no question of making others to suffer. I have, this is all the game where the divine is playing, that through all the suffering, he has created one, he was one, he has created many, and in that many, he has created it in such a way that if they go away, they're bound to suffer in one form or other, and they have to turn around. And then God's creation is because to enjoy that bliss, he enjoys that bliss. And that's his divine sport. Then, wonderful, we find some answer to it. So Sri Ramakrishna is not going for all those explanations. Just too convinced to the fact that what Sri Ramakrishna is saying is not something baseless. Now let us again read those words of Ramakrishna to find some answer. That is it possible to understand God's action and his motive? He creates, he preserves, and he destroys. Can we ever understand why he destroys? I say to the Divine Mother, Oh Mother, the next thing is very important. I do not need to understand. Please give me love for thy lotus feet. That's the, that love which has to be experienced, as we were speaking of, by the coming back to the divine. That's the thing, which is the aim of the life. The aim of human life is to attain that bhakti. As for other things, the mother knows best. I have come to the garden to eat mangoes. What is the use of my calculating the number of trees, branches and leaves? I only eat mangoes. I don't need to know the number of trees and leaves. So God is of the nature of love. To enjoy that love is the be-all and end-all of our human existence. There's a nice episode in Mahabharata that where we find Draupadi and Yudhishthira when they were in exile, were just passing through the foothills of the Himalayas. And Draupadi was complaining that what's the evil of being devoted to God? That Yudhishthira was so devoted to God. That what's the devotee, what's your devotion evils? See, at last, with all your devotion, what we have achieved, all this suffering, trials, tribulation, the way we have been, uh, uh, what do you say, this betrayed by your, your, your cousins, is it what we all uh, uh, expect from your devotion? That's what is in our, uh, in our store. Yudhishthira never replied to the, that question directly. She, he just asked Draupadi, just look at the snow-picked Himalayas, there's all these peaks. Isn't it wonderful? Don't you like it? But yeah, it's a wonderful thing. And then Yudhishthira asked, what the Himalaya gives you? Did you give you anything? It's actually a very treacherous path to traverse through that, this, the mountainous path of the, these Himalayas. But people still take so much of suffering to go through those paths. Why? Because just him, just seeing 
the Himalayas, the snow-picked mountains, is to fall in love with it. You are bound to. Do you have any mercenary idea, expectation? No. So God is of the nature of the bliss. Why go to for all those calculations? Just to see him is to love him. To think of him is to love him. So that's the thing which is the purpose of life. Why go on calculating the number of branches? That's Sri Ramakrishna's example. The two friends went to a mango orchard. One started eating the mangoes. Other was counting the leaves and the branches. So he's more intelligent. The one who tests the mangoes. What's the use of counting the leaves and branches? So that's the thing which Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. That, that just by saying that God, what God is doing, you forget that the bliss which you have, who could have enjoyed, in spite of all these imperfections, if somehow you turn towards God and try to relate through bhakti or through love, that the bliss which you enjoy is something which transcends all suffering. The bliss in no way is going to uh, annihilate the suffering. The sufferings will be there. But you in no way will be filling them. You know it is of the body and the mind. You are in eternal com companionship with the divine. And that's the purport of the purpose of the spiritual life. Not to annihilate the suffering, but to transcend them. Let them be there. Let the, the world be there with all its evils. I have to transcend them, not to just simply get rid of them. We can never get. So it's just the change of that orientation which is required. All the spirituality lies in that. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. That why just look at the imperfections of the world. Even we find Swami Vivekananda. Swami Vivekananda is a young boy. When he was, he is yet to become Naren. In this young boy, in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, in one place we find very interesting thing. What he is saying? The plan of the universe is devilish. I would have created a better world. <laughs> so the plan of the universe is devilish. I would have created a better world. Now, we say uh, Naren is actually avatar of Shiva. And that's the same thing Shiva told to Brahma. Seeing after Brahma created this entire universe, you know, the ultimate conscious principle finds expression as the cosmic mind. And in this cosmic mind, he's contemplating of the universe. This contemplation is this universe. It is the product of the Brahma's mind, the cosmic mind. So this world which came out from the cosmic mind, from Brahma, Seeing that the Virata Rupa, the Virata Rupa of this entire universe is the Shiva. Shiva is compassionate. Seeing the world full of suffering, Jara, Vyadi, Mrittu, there is disease, there is old age, death, suffering, this quarrel, fight, one to uh, any animal uh, to appease its hunger has to kill some other animal. A few days back, a wonderful uh, article, recent uh, research work has been done that we say uh, the plant as such has, uh, do not have this consciousness uh, like the higher beings. So they don't feel suffering. So it's better to eat vegetarian food. I'm not going in that, uh, in that uh, argument. But very interesting that I will just speak of the research. They say the plant do suffer. They scream, they say, they scream. And that scream is in that ultrasonic sound. We don't hear that. One day we were just saying the suffering of the plant is masked. Everything suffers. 
just you know that uh, even in in this world when someone is hanged there is a habit uh, there is a practice of putting the uh, black cloth in his face his first covered his face is covered and then only is hanged Do you know why his face is covered because when he is hanged the expression of his face is going to affect you so he is being masked so that you are not affected even the terrorists when they cut just kill others they mask them so that their feelings doesn't affect them the nature has made that in the plants also suffer terribly the scream in ultrasonic sound it has been found even that has been converted in some machine to just give an expression that how what type of screaming it is coming it's a very modern research so this scream but it is masked our we cannot hear the ultrasonic sound if we would have the capacity we would have heard so there is this is the what we have is the imperfection of this universe ashanaya himrityu in vedarnakumini this is there the moment you are hungry it is at the cost of life of something else ashana is a plan god could have created the universe in some different way brahma could have created so with all this complaints shiva almost like the uh, almost like this narain's word this plan of the universe is devilish i would have created a better world he goes to brahma and asks the question that why you have created but brahma some seems to be too much uh infatuated by his own creation he never even looks at shiva he is just totally without blink he is called animesha he never blinks because once he blinks the creation is no more there even in science if you read the double slit experiment the moment someone is not witnessing the probability will not collapse into reality that's the science of language the same thing brahma is the one who is a witness if he is not witnessing the probability everything is a probability it won't collapse into the reality the universe happens only because of that witness so brahma is actually witnessing the universe once he has created but shiva thinks he is so much infatuated he doesn't even have the uh, modesty to give me the answer and getting angry with him he just he's he has a five heads you know so that he can look in all directions this all these uh, um, puranic stories have very deep inner meaning that he's looking at the all the creation in all the directions without a wink now shiva doesn't realize he just uh, tears off one of the head and brahma shouts in suffering what are you doing and then brahma responds to shiva's question you don't realize the creation is it is just is it is neither good nor bad the so called good and bad is your response to that existence how you respond to it your reaction all the suffering is just a reaction how you react to that happening the world is just a happening how you react to it based on that is your pleasure or pain shiva realized that word and that made him go into the deep meditation this puranic stories are wonderful in the deep meditation a time comes when he goes beyond the mind the entire creation obliterates but that doesn't take him to the shunya when the mind falls off like the prism it's the prism the white light falls on the prism to create a spectrum when you take off the prism the spectrum has fallen off but it has all merged in the white light shiva feels that it is he alone who exists the creation is not there and that's why shiva starts dancing in that ecstatic joy saying hara hara vyom vyom this story is from where that word hara hara vyom vyom hara means everything has been taken away it's all vyoma means space 
he alone is existing nothing else is there and from that realization that from that that if he is the one who is have initiated the yoga he feels this is the thing brahma vacharya has said that he has realized this has to be taught to all the beings to really get rid of the suffering and then he is coming down from the himalayas as he is coming down from the himalayas naturally he is facing the south that's why he is called dakshinamurti he is called this all these terms you will find is wonderful is our uh, these mythologies are very rich dakshinamurti so he has unbound compassion to teach the man in the science of yoga he is coming down facing the south because from himalayas he has to come down to teach the entire humankind in the science of yoga so what's the entire thing which means the suffering comes not from what's happening in the world it's how we react to it if you say this all this is because of the god's imperfection i don't need god well and good that's your way but if you can just think that i don't understand the way but god is all love let me enjoy the bliss of communion with the divine and then you transcend the suffering become one with god that is another way so the choice is ours so that's the thing sri ramakrishna is indicating that what's the need of just trying to explain the things they are just try to change your orientation by instead of trying to find out the nature of the universe try to relate to its source with love and that can give you the bliss in spite of all the happenings which are happening you need not change that you transcend that so that's the thing which sri ramakrishna is saying baburam aim and ramdayal slept that night on the floor of the master's room it was an early hour of the morning about 2 or 3 o'clock the room was dark sri ramakrishna was seated on his bed and now and then conversed with the devotees so with this uh, we stop our discussion today uh, the remaining portion uh, of this chapter hopefully we will be covering up in the next class and that will conclude this chapter the master with his brahmo devotees so thank you all namaskars so with this we conclude our session today